Is investment something that's always been on your mind, but you don't quite know how to get started on that journey? We are here to set you on the right course. Welcome to My Cashflow Academy's Investor's Corner with your host, Athena Paquette Cornier. We are all about getting out of the rat race through creating positive passive income through real estate investing. Here you'll hear from regular people just like you and the professionals who support us towards greater wealth. Learn before you earn, move from analysis to action, and find the right path to attaining the success that you've always dreamed of for yourself. Now, here's your host, Athena. Welcome, everyone, to Women in Investing, which is um, our once in a while, once a month at least podcast and webinar on uh, our interviews with women who have either gotten out of the rat race through investing or the businesses that support us in reaching greater wealth as women in investing. So we do offer this to men as well, even though it's a women-focused group. <laughs> so we want to welcome the men to join our call. We don't want to alienate anybody. Um, but it is focused on women because um, when I started investing, I saw that most investors that I went to, you know, real estate club meetings or that I talked to were men. Investing tends to be a man's world. And so I wanted to highlight uh, the women who are involved in investing, whether it's with stocks and bonds or real estate, or last week's call was with people, uh, women who have built uh, mailbox money through their, uh, so, what do they call it, social marketing businesses. So um, however it what is, that someone reached their uh, financial freedom. We want to highlight that and just their journey towards that because I think we have a, uh, it, I want to say especially women, I could be wrong, but we have a tendency to think, oh, well, she was born rich or she's a lot prettier or she's good at math. I suck at math. We have all these things we tell ourselves that stop us from even trying, thinking we don't qualify to be wealthy. So um, in this day and age, I think we're really, it's really being driven home that having your own passive income is crazy. Critical because if you're nine to five at a job, that job could evaporate overnight. Um, so tonight, I'm excited to introduce my friend Sherry Lamazon, who is a real estate investor and also a real estate broker here in the Los Angeles area. And uh, she's going to share her story about how you can lose it all and rebuild it and um, kind of what she went through to uh, get over those, those, those hurdles that could have and anybody else could have said, you know what, this has damaged me. I've lost it all. There's no way I can rebuild it all. It's the market's not right. The money's not right. The interest rates are not right. I mean, you could use all kinds of excuses, but Sherry did it and she's here to share her story. And I am so excited for her to do that. So welcome, Sherry. Thanks for taking Thank time you. out of your evening. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> so why don't we just start with... Um, um, I don't even know where to start. There's so much to cover. I want to talk about, uh, you know, how, why did you lose all that, that property? How did you rebuild it? Um, there's so many questions I have to ask you. So why don't we just start with your, just your background. Where did you grow up? What, what kind of education? Do you have a PhD in economics? Like, <laughs> not, <laughs> not even close. <laughs> So, so um, basically, born and raised in the South Bay, um, my parents moved to Palos Verdes. Um, they paid $42,000 for a house back in 1972. Wow. And I was, yes, I know. And they still live in that house to this day. 
Wow. And um, I was three years old at the time. I went through the whole um, Palos Verdes school system up there. Um, my parents, mom was a stay at home mom and dad was an engineer for aerospace. We were just very middle class. Um, and I grew up around a lot of kids with that, whose parents had a lot of money Mm. and, um, you know, for their 16th birthday, their parents were buying them brand new BMWs, Porsches, designer jeans. Wow. Even back then, huh? Yes. I thought that was a new thing. I guess not. No, no, not at all. And of course, you know, 16 years old, I didn't understand it. And my parents, you know, I'm like, well, why aren't I, you know, my parents said, you can use the old family car when you want a horse, you know, you can, when you can support a horse, um, you can have a horse. If you want designer jeans, find them on clearance sale for 20 bucks or less, and we'll Mm -hmm. buy them for you. But they said, you have to work for what you want. And so, and to this day, well, that was harsh. (laughs) Well, you (laughs) know, what the other kids had. Well, you know what, though, and I wrote that my parents a long email about a year ago, because I saw what happened to the kids that were just handed everything. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them are struggling financially, because they depended on their parents, they were given everything. And I thank them because they always gave me whatever, you know, I mean, whatever I needed, you know, I never went without and there was a lot of love in the family. And, but um, uh, to this day, I thank them all the time, because I think they taught me one of the most invaluable lessons. And that's, you want something, you know, you work for it, and you go get it. So I, you know, since I was eight years old, I started taking you know, odd jobs. And mm. I put all that money, I didn't buy clothes or makeup or candy or anything. I, you know, I just started putting it, putting it away because I thought at some point I'm going to want a car, you know, and mm. maybe a horse when I'm older. And I just, I just really enjoyed saving. Wow. So, but well, I, I have did- noticed that about you, even to this day, I've known Sherry since 1994, so I have a good idea. But you're always very conscientious of, and I, you know, people say cheap or frugal or whatever, and it's not that because you have nice things. You you did have a horse, but you're just very conscientious about how you spend your money, and I think that's that's amazing because, you know, once you get comfortable, you could overspend or, well, you know. And I I think you learn some some life lessons, you know, like I did um, when I went through my divorce Mm. um, in 1995, that really was, you know, really an eye opener to, um, you know, what's important in life and Mm. how you should, you know, manage your money. But I, I didn't ever, you know, as far as schooling, no, I don't, I went to college and I took an accounting class there, but that's it. I finished high school and I immediately went into business um, at 19 years old. Wow. So and what it, business did you go into? Well, at the time, that's where I met my ex-husband. Mm-hmm. Um, I was uh, waiting tables and I was man- part-time managing a restaurant. And um, I met him when I was, I had just turned 19 years old and he said, quit your job and you can play with your horse, do whatever you want. And I quit my job and got bored within about a week and started, 
he, he had a small general construction company. And so I said, I got to start doing something here. I'm just, and I was day trading also quite a bit at the time, but um, I just needed something more. So I started um, running his um, construction company with him um, mm. at 19. So that's amazing. And so what parts of the construction business were you helping him with? Well, I did, um, he did most of the bidding. Um, I did a lot of the um, work with um, getting the guy, I worked a lot directly with, with the workers. Um, I also did all the accounting for the business. I set him up. He was kind of a, when I first met him, he was just kind of pay the guy's cash under the table. So I got the whole business set up legally and, um, right. And we got him his um, his uh, his license, his general contractor's license. Oh, so and, he was um, just being a handyman, or he was doing construction without the actual license. He was doing construction, which people did before. I think it was more normal right. back then to do that. But right, right, absolutely. So, um, and it built into a great business, you know. Mm -hmm. um, it's so. So I'm yeah. just curious because I think you learned well. Maybe I'm remembering wrong, but uh, you learned a lot about the actual construction business, like bidding. And so when we met, I was doing 203K loans, which is where I yes. was supposed to, as an underwriter, figure out the budget for these little homeowners who wanted to, right. to rehab property and finance that rehab. So I just remember thinking, wow, she knows a lot about construction for a realtor. And I think that's kind of when it came up. Uh, right. So you learned a lot about bidding and what what things should cost i mean it almost seemed innate to me when i met you right it's not right. that long of a stretch because i met you in 94 so you had four years or i yes i i kind of jumped you know full force i wanted to learn everything so yes mm -hmm. i i helped a lot with the bidding and um and getting the orders you know at the you know construction yard and stuff and, and yeah. things like that so i learned a lot about what you know what things cost of course it's a lot different back then than it is now but right but i've still tried to keep up with you know the general cost of things so that mm -hmm. you know i can get a, an idea with my own projects to, to this day you're keeping up with that I try as mean? much uh -huh. as possible. Yeah, it's constantly changing. And the cost, of course, of materials well, has gone up, you know, tremendously, yeah, tremendously. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. So that was a really good experience. Um, so and so that was four years. So did you guys do any projects like for your own portfolio? Like, did you flip homes back then for your own money or you didn't because a lot of times we don't know what we don't know at that age right so well we had always talked about it and he's the one you know that got me into real estate because he said um, number one when um when i was 20 we bought a house in golden hills in in redondo beach okay and um we had an agent that wasn't ever around so i found the house i negotiated at the front door with the owner oh my god and, and these uh, are the days for people who don't know the books of properties were put out every two weeks and they were like this thick so you had to right. like turn the page see the address <laughs> i think i like drove by it i think i drove by it saw a sign and knocked on the door and said how much do you want you know can i see your house and you know and you know i ended up you know 
kind of kind of doing everything with the with the whole um process and uh-huh. so my um husband at the time said mm-hmm. you know what you would be great in this business and he said and then we can start you know we should buy our own stuff and start doing flips or start mm-hmm. buying for investing and so we kind of had that idea planted but i was in so many different directions i was trying to i started my real estate career um about when i turned right before i turned 21 mm-hmm. and i was so busy i was working you know, 16 hours a day on that, still running the construction business. Um, So it didn't leave much time for me to really start learning Mm. um, as much about investing, but it was always a plan that Mm -hmm. that that was going to be our retirement was, you know, start building for our retirement. Especially because he can be the sweat equity. I mean, he can, you can use all your your freebies and lobies and all that stuff. Exactly. <laughs> deals, exactly. right? I mean, it's, why wouldn't you? Yeah. So you bought a home and then did you buy any other rental property or was that, that was that it? That was it. That was uh-huh. it during the marriage. And then yes. you had savings. You were saying you did day trading savings, that kind of thing. Yes, I had. Well, I had a little bit of savings. Like I said, I had always worked um, since I was eight years old and I mm-hmm. had saved up. I put away every all the money I ever got for my birthdays growing up. I put away everything was just I put it away to where I had a decent amount. You know, by mm-hmm. the time I was 18, I bought a horse. I bought a my own car, you know, a used car, of course, yeah. you know, but, but, um, and bought the house, you know, we were, you know, 50, 50 on that. Um, mm-hmm. and so, you know, I, you know, had, had a little bit of savings left, not, mm-hmm. you know, not a lot, yeah. but you know, mm-hmm. so we, so we when you got divorced, other- um, you, you, you had to kind of give it all up, right? Yeah, well, it was, um, it was a very um, violent uh, divorce. And he spent a year, you know, basically on a mission to kill me. And so I was in hiding. Um, Mm -hmm. He would come into my office, grab me by my throat, try to drag me out. So I kind of went into hiding um, for a while. And uh, that's when I got into the MMA. Mm-hmm. And um, it kind of balanced me, kept my sanity. I, I really have to say, I think it probably saved me um, emotionally mm-hmm. for everything that I went through because I was I was very That's broken. Super scary. Yeah, it was. He was he was suicidal. He and he. This was right after the O.J. Simpson stuff. So everybody mm-hmm. was. I didn't let my parents know because my dad would have killed him and yeah. you know ended up in jail. So I hid it. I kind of hid out in um, in different locations where he couldn't find me. Mm-hmm. And um, but at the same time, you were selling real estate, so you were I out was, there. Yes, this I is was, what puzzles me because right, I would go see you at work. I didn't even know this was going on, right? Well, yeah, you, you can't later. I mean, you, fortunately, he had. I had some incidents at the office where he attacked me in the middle of office meetings. And there was the most wonderful, I would love to track down this Hermosa Beach police officer. Um, he would sit in the parking lot all day long, as long, unless he had to go on a call. But he would just sit there all day, wow. um, just watching for him to come back. And um, mm. it was, uh, it was, 
truly this this uh, police officer was amazing. He truly, mm -hmm. I mean, he really cared and you Protected. know was very concerned because mm -hmm. um, it was it was quite violent by that time. I had restraining orders and so yeah, wow. Yeah. So, so the divorce was final in 95 then or 96? We, I filed in summer of 95 and in 1996, I was afraid, I was tired of just being in hiding and going through all this and he wouldn't let it go. So I said, take it all. I said, you can have our house. I don't want alimony. You know, the attorney was saying I should be getting seven, eight grand a month alimony. I said, I don't want alimony. I don't want, you can have half of my savings from before we were married. I just want to end this. Mm -hmm. I said, I want my cats, my computer, my car, and my clothes. And that's all. And I, right. and half of what I saved before we were married. Mm -hmm. And my attorney said, no, I'm not going to let you lay down and die for this guy. And I said, look, I said, you could, you can always make more money in life, but you can't make more time. And I can't spend, I already spent a year, you know, and I want to start rebuilding my life. So mm. we got a mediator and they filed it and I just walked That's out. amazing that you, that you were able to get through it though, because I have a similar, <laughs> fortunately, I have a similar situation to what you went through, right? And oh, it took yeah. me like almost five years to, you know, because he no-showed, right? So it's, it's great that when you had the mediator, uh, your ex actually showed up and started moving towards that, right? Yeah, yeah, I think he knew that there was go. no there was no going back and he was um he had he had met someone and said he was willing to give me the divorce but he um you know he he didn't he wanted pretty much everything I said right. I and I've never regretted that to this day. I just mm. you know it was um just so it just to release that and get that be able to start moving forward with my life and rebuilding yeah was, amazing yeah well good so after the divorce was final and you could walk the streets without looking over your shoulder all the time right. um what was your first what made you decide to invest in real estate or what was the first aha moment that you said okay i've got to rebuild i remember i had a client in 97 that she wanted to sell her apartment building and i said sherry can you list this property and if after a month nobody wants it, I want it, right? And right. I remember that was 97. Um, yes. With Mrs. Gabby son. Yes, lady. yes. <laughs> um, so was it around that time? Was it just like the divorce is final? I'm ready to go forward and buy me some property. I mean, how did that, how long well, did it take you to, to get going? Well, what happened is, is, you know, I, I had relied on him so much financially. Um, I just kind of left everything in his hand. You know, I, I watched my parents and the way it worked and you just always took care of each other. And I, my real estate career had not really, it wasn't really going, you know, mm. full speed, you know, to where I was getting enough of an income to really, you know, live off of. And I said, I don't want to live like this anymore where I'm just, you know, just worried about my next, where's my next paycheck going to, you know, my next commission check going to come from. And, and I need some kind of income um, mm -hmm. to, to help me get going. And my husband's last words on the day that our divorce was final is you're never going to make it without me. And I think that was like, I was like, by that point, 
I'm going to show him. So about three months later, I put an offer. I found um, my five unit building in Lawndale and, wow. um, and I took on a partner because I had not much savings left. <laughs> so, <laughs> but that's um, amazing, Sherry. So you have like very little money in the bank. You right. Know, you got squished down. And of course, the right. guy says you're going to fail. Of course, they all say that, right? Right. So, I mean, you know, their parting blessing is you're going to do nothing without me. You know? Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. So, so, but that's amazing that with very little money in the bank, you're like, okay, let's go find a property. And then, do, so, so was this a friend that you have as a partner? Like, or did you, you know, they see you use other people's money, but that can be a little dicey. You, you know, it's a big responsibility to use other people's money. Well, that's it. That's why I wanted a 50-50 partner. So I had, and I've always been that way. I want as much skin in the game, if not more, than whoever my partner is. Because, um, you know, I, I don't, you know, I want them to know that, you know, obviously, you know, I'm going to be very serious about, you know, taking care of the property and getting it and choosing the right property. So it was a, my um, home inspector, the gentleman who I used as my, and we had become friends. Um, he was the home inspector that I would refer to my clients. Mm -hmm. And he and I had always talked about, you know, gosh, it'd be fun to invest together. And I, I kind of trusted he and his wife. And, um, and I found the, the building and it was a foreclosure at the time and i'm like wow three hundred and ten thousand dollars i had about 40 i think 40 42 thousand dollars in the bank and you needed 25 percent down mm. so i was like gosh it's like, i was really nervous because it mm. would have wiped out and it's i a still lot of had, money i still had credit card debt to pay off from the divorce because you know um i had to pull out to live because everything right. all the assets were frozen and i didn't want to go into my savings for that so so I asked him, I said, hey, are you interested? Um, and he said, yeah, let's check it out. And it So just, you had the property identified and then went to him and said, hey, what do you think about this? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. And so and, you both put 50-50 on the down payment? Right. He, he and his wife put 50% in and I put 50% in. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. And uh, you still own that property to this day, right? I do. I so do. you paid three ten, and that was nineteen ninety six or seven? Was that nineteen ninety six? End okay. of nineteen ninety six. <clears throat> okay. So end of nineteen ninety six, and how much is it worth nowadays? Well, we just refinanced, and mm -hmm. our you know last with you refinanced for us, yeah. and um, last year, huh? Yeah, and the appraisal was for one million six hundred seventy five thousand. So. Wow, not bad. And it's a, you know, good cash flow. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, mm -hmm. and a win-win on both sides. Okay. And so after you bought that one, how, how much longer till you bought the next one? Well, I did buy in between. So what I was trying to do then is raise more capital in order to buy more buildings. And I, I tend to like to buy and hold as much as possible. Mm -hmm. But when I need to build capital, you know, and build it in chunks, mm -hmm. you know, um, I kind of had to resort to other means. So in 1998, um, I was, I was always looking and mm -hmm. that's what, where I really start researching. I would just spend my days figuring numbers all day long. Just, num mm -hmm. you know, it was just fascinating to me and I wanted to really learn. 
So um, just running numbers on like cash, the cash flow, like the expenses and the income and how much rent you can bump it up to and all that kind of massaging exactly. the numbers kind of thing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. in uh, 1998, um, a, an associate of mine and I ran across this um, house in Manhattan beach, um, 490,000, uh, she wanted for it. She didn't want to put it on the market um, because she was going to take the bar exam and she didn't want all so much going on. So I said, took him outside and I said, what do you think we buy this and just flip it? And he said, okay, <laughs> let's talk to <laughs> And I, so I said, we'll give her a non-refundable deposit so she can move. She was moving up north, you know, and um, we uh, had her sign a release saying she understands that we're going to be doing this for a profit. And, okay. you know, and, and was there a form letter for that or uh, you just I, wrote something up? I think if I remember correctly, I just wrote something up saying that you, uh, you know, that she understands that we are doing this to make money and we intend to make a profit off buying it and turn around and selling it. So, um, so we were in escrow buying that and um, my partner at the time didn't have very good credit. So I was the only one on the loan. We put five, we were going to put 5% down mm. and I was really nervous. I thought, what if we can't sell this? And then I'm stuck with this big, you know, at the time, payment. it seemed like a lot of money, you know, big payment and, you know, which is barely rent now, by the way, you know, yeah. 2,800 a month. It's like, I know. you get a little shack somewhere. You know? <laughs> exactly. But it's all perspective, right? Those, exactly. those days, dollars, it's a lot. Right. Right. So I was, so I was how fast were you intending to flip it? Like what was the business um, model or the, what was your idea of, you know, we're going to buy it and then fix it and sell it. What time frame had you imagined you'd be in versus what ended up being? We figured it would take about two, two and a half months, um, to, to rehab it. And then we would put it on the market to sell it. Okay. So, but what ended up happening is when we were in escrow buying it, um, an associate of mine heard, that we had this property. I mean, it's, you know, right down in Manhattan Beach near American Martyrs, uh, you know, and she said, I have a client that would love to buy it. And she says, we'll offer you 620000 for it. And we'll just double escrow it and close at the same time. And as much as I wanted to maximize the profits, I thought this will take the stress off me. We just concurrently close and my partner and I walk away, you know, with a total of, you know, minus closing costs about 125 grand mm -hmm. um, in, in profit. So we did that. That's awesome. And then you split yeah. it because they were 50-50, right? We with were 50-50. Yes. Okay. And he took me straight down to the Porsche dealership and tried to get me to buy a Porsche. <laughs> and Your I coworker said, did? Yes. My, my business partner on it. He says, come on, Sherry, you got to do something nice for yourself. And I just said, I, these Porsches are real nice and everything, but I just, I can't feel good about it. I need to find, this is the reason I did this is to get a nest egg for the next down payment. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's 98. So then when's the next uh, property? So in 1999 um, came across, I, you know, I'm not very good at it, but 
you have to be patient, you know, I feel. And, you know, I didn't want to just jump into something just to buy a property. So um, it took quite a while, you know, probably eight, nine months and came across a six unit building in Gardena. Okay. And um, so once again, I didn't have the 25% down. I had the the proceeds from the Manhattan Beach House. So I right. asked my partners, the husband and wife, that the same I had people. partners okay. with, same people. I said, hey, you know, it was going well. Our partnership was was great. The first property was rolling. The cash was rolling. Not it too was many rolling. Upsets. Okay. It was doing great. And I said, would you like to invest in another property? And they said, well, the first one's worked well, sure. So yeah. we uh, invested in uh, that one together. We paid 364000 for that one. Mm-hmm. Wow. So great prices, right? <laughs> You know, <laughs> I know if, you know, yeah. if it's, um, it's amazing to, to look back, but at the time it was, it didn't seem like it. And, right. you know, I have to think that, you know, 20 years from now or 15 years from now, we're going to be looking back saying, wow, you know, it was only, you got that for only a million, a million and a half. Wow. Right. <laughs> I think it's all relative, you know, at the it time sure it was, it was a scary amount, you know, it was, mm -hmm. So again, you guys went 50, 50, uh, put the 25% down. You, did you both sign for the loan or by now, did you have an LLC? Did you start doing that or was it still in your personal names at that no. time? We were, we were 50, 50. We were both on the loan on, title we 50, loan. 50 on everything. Got it. Okay. And no, we did not put it into an LLC. Okay. And did you have a, because these are smaller buildings. So did you self-manage these buildings or uh, did you have an on-site manager? Who was the manager? Because people love manager stories. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I've got a few of them. <laughs> but um, so well, actually, most of my managers are not bad. But mm -hmm. yes, I. so the Gardena building was owned by when we, the guy that we purchased it from, he owned a management company. Oh, and so okay. he said, we can just keep it on the books, you know, and we'll manage it for you. Okay. And the Lawndale property, we had an on-site manager, um, very eccentric lady by the name of Cece. <laughs> and she, she was a character and she tough lady, you know, I mean, just That's awesome. she was something. And um, so I kind of, I always like to kind of, you know, be very involved and, you know, so I was dealing, and my partners were like, fine, you'd, so I was dealing mostly with the on-site manager. I would collect the rents from them. I would pay all the bills and everything, but they would do the on-site managing. And then a couple of years later, Cece left and um, there was another gentleman who was a, well, gentleman for lack of a better term. <laughs> um, <laughs> He took over um, the management. He was a tenant of ours, and he was somewhat handy and mm. seemed trustworthy. Mm -hmm, right. Time. Seemed. Yeah. <laughs> and so he ended up being our manager for um, probably 15 years or so. Oh, wow, 15 years. So what ended that relationship? So he wasn't as trustworthy or? Well, so... This is where, you know, one of my mistakes came in is, mm -hmm. you know, he, he ended up, he, he got married. He had the sweetest wife and they had two kids and, and still I lived in your building, still lived in the okay. building, was getting a 
smoke, I mean, was hardly paying any rent, um, you know, was probably paying less than half what the going rent should be oh. um, for managing the building. And I trusted him probably more than I should have. And when he started falling on rougher times financially, financially um, he's, we found out that he started um, doing things such as he told us that um, that the tenant in one of the units went to jail and his cousin was, and this guy's, the tenant's cousin was just going to move in, take over the, you know, the security deposit would just follow him, et cetera, et cetera. Well, and that we were charging 1800 or we were charging 1600 a month at the time. So what really happened is that he got a new tenant and there he told the old tenant that moved out, sorry, you don't get your security deposit back. A new tenant came in, paid $2,000 security deposit. He pocketed the money and he was charging the tenant $1,900 a month rent when we were only charging him $1,600. So we caught him skimming. How long, yeah. yeah, how long did that take for you or what made you discover it or what made it come out? What, what made the truth come out in, for you to know this? Well, what had happened is I started having a lot of problems collecting rent from him. And I started getting calls, like tenants would track me down. Mm. And, um, you know, because, because I'm in real estate sales, I was yeah, it's easy, easy to find your number. It was, and I had my name on, you know, title and at the time. And, right. and so tenants were starting to call me and saying, look, you know, <clears throat> your manager's doing some things and they're keeping our money and they're not doing that so started getting a little bit suspicious right and then he kept saying that tenants weren't paying you know we're oh this person's not paying and I'm like we'll kick you know we have to evict yeah. them then no pay no and stay he, exactly but really he was just keeping the rent so um I I just started getting a hunch so I said look you know, I've got to get a management company. I said, this is too much on me right now because I was going back and forth to the building like several times a month to collect the rents and it was always excuses and yeah. why this person and I was getting calls from the tenants directly. Right. And he got pissed off and he had about $8,000 of our rents he just collected. And he, and he texted me that information. Well, I have them, but, but he wouldn't give it to us because he was pissed. So wow. we went down and we went to the police station and we said, look, this, you know, he's holding our money, you know, our rents. Mm. And we filed a police report and they went to do, uh, they were going to do a search warrant. So they went to his house and I felt awful because he really played, you know, his kids, his, his, yeah, he put son. his whole family in this, right? Right. He put his eight-year-old son on the phone with me and they'd send me pictures of him. So I got too like personally involved, I think. Yeah. And he purposely, I think, did that. Right. Um, and, you know, he had a baby they just had and I felt awful, but, you know, I, I had to start. It was just, you know, right. we, we had to end the, the, the um, business relationship. So mm -hmm. um, they, 
went to do um, serve the, the warrant on him at four o'clock one morning and um, went into his property and you know of course he swears he didn't they went through and they tried to find our money but they yeah. couldn't and um, he swears that you know of course he didn't right. you know he was always good to us and then they go and they find a AK-47 with a couple hundred rounds of ammunition in his closet oh my god um, yes so they arrested him Mm -hmm. and he went to went to jail mm -hmm. and then um you know we were getting checks now of course we filed a lawsuit for we could we could prove about twelve thousand dollars that he had stolen from us so and you're garnishing so, his wages or is that what it is or yeah the, the county you know the we get a check we each get a check maybe once a month for twelve dollars and fifty cents. <laughs> you'll get you it all what? back eventually, Sherry. Don't worry. <laughs> Thirty years from now, we'll get it all back. But that was a huge. Let me tell you, it was a a huge lesson learned. Yeah. Um, and it's since it's been so much better since we have the. So was that the couple of years ago story? Is that from yes. a couple of years ago? Okay, yeah. Yes, so, yes. um, yeah. So, so what do you, so the lessons are like, you're not going to get clo close and pally and I mean, you well, have professional managers now, right? For both, for all your buildings. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And the professional managers that we had on the, um, Gardena building who were the previous owners, uh -huh. um, I started demanding because we weren't seeing any paper, you know, we didn't see any bank statements. We couldn't see. And so finally I started demanding, look, we need to see all the money going yeah, in and out. Business. And they took months, you yeah. know, and then they were, we were coming up with like, they were coming up with ridiculous like repair bills on things. Yeah. Um, so we got rid of them and we have this management company that's now managing. Great. Um, that's now managing both of those. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, um, and meanwhile, these rents are growing and you corrected the problem of leakage and, and l probably low rents to a lot of managers don't want to raise the rents to market, which now people are hurting really bad because of the new uh, rent control in California and some cities. Like if you didn't raise your rents with the market, you're like stuck at, you know, 2006 prices or whatever, you know, you can't raise them that much. You can't just say, oh, I'll give my tenants two or three years of, of low rents to be a nice guy and then I'll raise them. You know, you can't do that. You can't do that now. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's definitely changed. Um, and, you know, the property management company, it was good that they took it because I was always, I kind of was at the mindset, well, they're good tenants. They've been there right. a long time. I don't want them to leave. You don't right. want to break your cash flow, right? Right. Even for right. a month. Exactly. And I don't want to fall in that trap. Exactly. Exactly. And yeah. that was a huge lesson learned as well. Um, the mm -hmm. management company, they are just, let's get it's the most business. Right. You know, every time a tenant moves out, we rehab it, and raise the rents and, mm -hmm. you know, it's, um, and, right. and it's a fair business. market. Yeah, it, it is a business and, um, you know, you, you have to treat it as such mm -hmm. or else, you know, you're, so is that your worst management story or you got other doozies? <laughs> no, no, that actually the rest so of So that's not bad then. Yeah, no, it's it's not bad. I've I've had some interesting tenants, you know, but mm -hmm. as far as managers, I think 
those two, you know, I learned the lesson the hard way, but it was, you know, invaluable lesson that, Mm -hmm. um, you know. Yeah. So it's funny that you say learn the lesson the hard way. I don't think we learn the lesson when it's the easy way, you know, like reading it in a book, right? I got all these books behind me, all these books on managing property and investing in real estate. And, but until you've got skin in the game and you're living it, I don't think we really learn. Yes. Even until then. (laughs) Exactly. And I didn't have anybody, I didn't have any friends or family that were in, that were into real estate investing. Mm -hmm. So I kind of, stumbled along on my own and you know mm-hmm. so I'm yeah i always... wish we would have talked more back then right but yes in the way i guess it's just so weird that we went down similar paths definitely like, separately sort of <laughs> you know right you know? yeah I, it's very similar yeah so so that's 1999 i guess right yes. so um because i'm thinking how did you get out of the rat rate? How did you build this many properties that fast? I think that, and they're big ones. Some people go for duplexes. You know, you buy little plexes and you build it up and no, Sherry decides let's buy this five unit and let's buy that six unit. And then, and then you went to commercial, right? What, what, tell us a story of how did you end up in Texas commercial property? How does someone go from Lawndale to Texas? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have I had this friend who passed away last year and he was he was a big commercial um he owned a lot of big shopping centers um uh in the area and he was very successful in um, Texas investor. no in California oh here okay Got yeah it. And he had always told me, Sherry, that's great with the apartment buildings, but you got to try, you know, the commercial retail, you know, things like that. And he's like, you know, just, just try it. And I had, you know, I had, I had thought about it for a while. And so I had in 2004, I ended up, I bought a dupe. I wanted to build up some more capital. Um, so I bought a duplex in, out in the Palm, in Cathedral City. Out oh, Palm okay. Springs. Well, that's yeah. funny. Yeah, I know. I have a condo in these, this Once again. I didn't even know again. about this one. <laughs> They're so parallel. Yeah, no, that's funny. So I bought it with um, the wife of the, the partners on oh, my- Oh, that's right, because um, she moved out to the desert, right? Right, right. And well, she and I, um, well, actually, it was before she moved out there. She was still living here. But she and I were like, you know, California at at that time, the numbers weren't making as, or I'm sorry, in the South Bay, the numbers weren't as making as much sense. And we thought, well, let's go start spreading out outside Mm -hmm. the South Bay. So we took a flight, we went out to Arizona for the day, and we looked at apartment buildings there. We kind of searched around. And then we went out to the desert and we found this little duplex out there. And we said, you know, let's buy this. It was that we were 50-50 partners on it. And it was not a cash flow, a monthly cash flow building. It was break even. But we saw that the market was really appreciating out there. Mm -hmm. So we made a plan together, um, which is really important that you, you know, you have a, be on the same page. Yeah, I want to ask you about that next. Yes. Okay. So we said when this appreciates um, $150,000, we are going to agree that's our point where we're going to sell. The so instead of a percentage piece, or a time frame, you decided to set a dollar amount. We that's decided to set a. I, I don't know. I don't remember what the reasoning was for yeah. that, but we mm-hmm. 
we said, you know, um, that was our plan. So sure enough, two years later, it had appreciated. So we turn around and, well, that's and fast sold too, that. right? Yeah, yeah. And, um, and that was not without problems. I mean, we had drug addicts living in there, drug dealers, and it was, it was, you know, but hey, I, I wasn't living in it. It was, it was an investment, right. you know, we cleaned it up, we rehabbed the units, you know, and um, it was, you know, it was, it was a nice little property. So we turned around and we sold it. And I wanted to do a 1031 exchange. Um, so I was looking around and I had also, I believe at that time, refinanced every five to seven years, you know, with the apartment buildings, you generally have to refinance. Mm -hmm. um, I think because it they're kind of short term loans, they turn into adjustables. Right, right. And also rates have been going down for 20 years nonstop. So there's been a couple of bumps, but basically you can all, you know, every couple, five, seven years rates were going down. So you can improve exactly. your cash flow, right? As a business person, you're improving your cash flow. Exactly, exactly. And at, and by that time, the buildings were doing a great cash flow. So what we would do, we and would, they'd gone up in value probably a lot, even though yes. that's a very short, you know, ninety-seven to two. That's seven years, but oh, that was they'd yes. gone up a lot. There was a we had a decent amount of equity. So what we would do is. Um, we would just refinance and we'd pull some cash out to bring the loan amount to 500,000. Um, because we were told um, that you got better rate in terms if it was 500,000 yep. or more. Yep. So, um, so we would just refinance every time, pull the cash out and that would go into my, I have this little, you know, what I call my real estate savings account. It's in a no risk you know, it earns one and a half, two percent, you know, mm -hmm. but it just sits there waiting for the next project to buy. So um, pulled cash out of that. We made um, about 70,000 each off the Cathedral City property. So I searched around. I said, I want to go outside of California now because the numbers just were just getting crazier by the minute. Right. 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 Absolutely. In a bad way. <laughs> yes. As far as cash yes. flow. The prices Absolutely. were going up. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It just wasn't making, you know, it didn't, I, I got kind of spoiled, I think from the first two buildings, you know, uh -huh. so, um, so I just started researching all over the U S I, that's, I spent hours. So where did you, I mean, you're saying the U S that's like, <laughs> how did you narrow it down? Like, how did you, how did you I, even start? Did you go to LoopNet? Did you, I did all of that. <laughs> I read articles, I studied LoopNet, I, you know, I would just, I would stay up until all hours of the night, just numbers, numbers, you know, and, mm -hmm. and, and then when I found numbers I like, I researched the area and the trends and if it was growing, you know, if it was a growing area and I. And what types of things did you look for? Was it job growth or companies going in? Like, what were you looking for as far as the growth thing or the um, signals that you liked it? What, what, spoke to you yes um well one of the things you know i i kind of landed in dallas texas because um there was there was a lot of job growth there it was it was very straight seemed like a very strong financially um real estate wise and it didn't look like the type it just it just seemed like it was just going to stay pretty stable mm -hmm. um, financially um and a lot of it you know there were a lot of companies 
you know, that we're starting to, to move out there, large companies. Mm. And um, it's just, I like the numbers, you know, they, yeah. they, they seem to make a lot of sense. You so know, what kind of numbers were you seeing? Cause you were looking for a million or above or what price point were you looking for? And how well, did you kind of figure that out? What had happened is, so I emailed it first. I, you know, I wanted to find um, somebody that I could trust out there who would be a good agent, property manager. So I emailed a couple of people that I had found. I researched, you know, and one got right back to me. And I like that. I like when somebody is, you know, yep. you can see they're, they're serious. And I said, look, I'm looking to make a trip out to Dallas and I'd like to look at properties. And um, at the time I was looking, well, that's a whole other partnership issue, but mm -hmm. I was engaged at the time to someone who knew absolutely nothing about real estate and but he saw what my buildings were doing, what I've always done, and he wanted to partner with me. Okay. Financial. When partner. you were engaged, so I guess. Yeah, and he wasn't. <laughs> yeah. He wasn't much on working real hard, and yeah. so I thought we're gonna need. He's gonna need some kind of income because I don't want to be carrying us, you know. All right. So I reluctantly agreed, you know, and. So he had some, he had sold some businesses in the past and he had a chunk. So I said, we'll be 50, 50 partners, but I want to be, have hundred percent control over the properties. You wanted um, to be the managing partner. You wanted yes. him to stay out of it. Yes. And not have to explain to him over and over again. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And I told him, I said, look, there might be times where it's not, you're not going to get a check necessarily every month. There might be times where we're going to have to put money into the building to fix up a unit or, you know, and at the time he said he understood that. So, mm -hmm, right. um, so went out to Dallas and I was look, we were looking anywhere from, because we were looking more at um, retail, strip malls, shopping centers, business centers, things like that. So we and had looking, you researched this, Sherry, because you're a residential person. So you had researched how those kinds, because it's very different, right? The strip malls and looking oh. for anchors and the influences and who's down the street and all that kind of stuff, right? Com Environmental different. reports. I mean, it's a whole nother world with that. It is a completely different world. And I did as much research, you know, as I possibly could. Yeah. I, I, like I said, I would stay up all night just studying, you know, right. until I felt comfortable that I could make, you know, mm -hmm. proper decisions. So um, now armed with your training, yourself teaching, now you're going to see the real deals to see if they really work the way it looks on paper. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. So were you there for a day, a week? How, how long did you, your first trip? That visit was, I believe it was about five days out there. Okay. And we just looked at a ton of property and they ranged anywhere from, I think, um, million and a half to $4 million. Okay. Um, and we found one property um, that we liked. We put an offer on it. And um, then we found another property we liked. <laughs> so that's we, always troublesome when you like more than yeah. one. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So we were we were in escrow on on one, um, and then we found this other one, and um, it was the first one was a million and a half. Um, 
and it was kind of a strip mall and it, it had an auto repair shop on it and radio shack. And, mm. and then we found this other one that was, um, about, I think it was listed for about 3.3 million. And I said, well, that's going to be another big chunk. You know, if we want to buy both of these, it's going to be another big chunk. Yeah. So my, um, fiance at the time, he has an, has an older brother who is very wealthy Oh, okay. And, um, and is into, um, invest real estate investment. Okay. He so, said, so far, so far, so good. <laughs> so far, so good. So although my fiance at the time said, are you sure my brother's crazy? Are you sure you want to? And I said, well, it's the only way we're going to be able to buy both of them. And, um, <laughs> I should have <laughs> anyway. Um, so <laughs> we're in escrow buying both of those. Um, my fiance and I were 50% partners on the one and we were one third, one third, one third on the other one with his brother. Dum, dum, dum. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she oh. broke. When we break our own rules, uh, bad things happen, but go ahead. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Your 50, yes. 50 thing went out the window, right? But you wanted the property. So we, we wanted the property. It was a compromise. Had great numbers. You know, I just couldn't, I, you know, so I thought that was the only way let's, let's do this. So we turned out that we weren't able to get a loan on the first one because mm -hmm. of the auto body shop. We were having a heck of a time you know, yeah. it's very difficult because they're worried about contamination. Yeah, the environmental um, concerns. Exactly. So we ended up having to back out of that one, but we did go forward with the um, the other one. Um, I was the managing partner um, of that. And um, so what I kind had, of numbers were they? I'm just curious to give people an idea. So you paid three million. What were the gross rents, or if you can remember, um, uh, what, what kind of what ballpark were the gross rents and expenses? Was it an office building, or what kind of commercial you know, was it? It was um, it was uh, kind of a shopping center. It was about okay. I think it was about forty five or fifty thousand square foot. Oh wow! Um, yeah. And it, um, it had restaurants and gyms and um, convenience stores and it had, um, you know, things like yeah, that. All kinds so, of things. Yeah, yeah. So um, I think at the height, we were probably grossing about, um, I want to say about uh, 38000 a month. Okay. And our mortgage payment was about 19000 a month. Okay. And now, mind you, you have to really pay attention when you're investing out of state. Um, because there's no state tax, um, they get you on the property taxes. So in Texas, you know, we're here, like LA County property taxes are approximately, what, one and a quarter percent. It mm -hmm. turns out I usually figure on, mm -hmm. on the high side um, of the value of the property. Whereas in Texas, you're paying anywhere from 2.3 to 3% of the value on property taxes. Mm -hmm. So, but it was actually the, it was, um, we were each netting about three grand a month. Um, so it was about nine grand a month um, mm -hmm. in Net we after all your expenses. After all expenses, okay. So um, eighty-one thousand, so, and you put? Did you put like a million dollars down? I guess or uh, nine hundred? Yeah, 
Somewhere we had a loan there? for two point. We bought it for three point two five, and we had a loan for two point six. Oh, okay. Around, I think. Oh, that's not bad. No. So yeah. It's okay. So that's not bad. Right. So, right. um, and that for many years, it it um, just it, chunked out the money. It was it was a great money maker, and mm -hmm. um, so do you still own that one or? Well, no. So <laughs> back to the to the brothers. <laughs> well, if you Feeling want to get into them, this is my partnership uh, nightmare story. Yes. So if if you're ready to move on to that, yes, let's hear about the partnerships. <laughs> you probably heard me talk about it. I have, you know, when you were going through it, but I think it's important for people to know, and maybe you can share your ideas after the story of what makes a good partnership and, and, and what are the things that you could advise people to uh, avoid or do to have a good partnership and not end up in, in crises, right? Where someone wants right. out and sues you to, you know, whatever. So, so why don't you tell us about the rich, knowledgeable partner that you had? Well, what had happened over the years is that my oh by the way so this this um fiance that you're talking about is not mr sclafani right it's a oh, no. guy. oh no clear no. about that Wrong. <laughs> i got out of that i dodged a bullet on that one <laughs> yeah no kidding dang <laughs> no 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 i have a, a wonderful husband now yes it was just amazing. i just wanted to be clear about that yeah, no, no. <laughs> This no. fiance did after not become a, a Mr. Sherry Lemazon. <laughs> no, 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 no. After you hear this story, you'll realize why. Yes. But um, so what had happened is his older brother got tired. He he ended up giving his portion of um, the his 30% to his brother, which was my fiance at the time. So he was so my fiance was, you know, 66% owner, but I was still managed. We drew up something saying that I am still always going to be the managing partner. I can make all financial decisions except for, I just can't sell the property on my own without, without right. his approval. So we, we drew that agreement up and the, I thought we were done with the older brother and, um, Fast forward, uh, 2006, um, I broke off the engagement, but we agreed to hang on to the property because it was still a great money maker. I'm sorry, 2000. Yes. So we, we agreed to stay partners and I would still be managing it and um, actually, that's when his brother gave him his portion. It was after mm -hmm. we had split up. So we, um, you know, it, it was going fine until we had uh, one tenant move out. And I wanted to, I found a, like a national tenant that wanted to move into the space. And a pretty big space? Like this was a pretty. No, it wasn't no? that okay. big. It was like. 4,500 okay. square foot space. Okay. You just happened to attract a national company that I, would but they pay wanted, the bill forever. <laughs> right, right, right. But they wanted to, um, you know, they wanted, you know, some kind of, uh, you know, TI allowance or they wanted us to, we had to bring the unit up to code. Right. And so I said, look, you know, let's put in some cash on this, you know, or give them a, 
you know, an, an allowance. The credit, yeah. And, well, he didn't understand that. And he said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to put any money into this. Um, and I said, well, we, we've got to, you know, we've got to bring it up if we're going to, you know, get a good solid tenant in there. Mm. Well, his brother, meanwhile, decided he's going to come back in the picture, even though he was no longer part of the LLC. And huh. he decided that he was going to try to take over the management. And he flew to Texas without me knowing. And he went into some of our tenant spaces and said, I'll sell you your space for $1.5 million. I'm an owner. And anyway, he scared out two more tenants because they were like, this guy's crazy. You know, the, the, our property manager is like, this guy, whoever came to you, he has no authority. He's not, yeah. he's not a partner. So we lost, um, we lost two tenants because of him. Um, then I had, once again, I said, look, we have about 20,000 square feet of vacant space. We've got to, and at that point, the building was breaking even, you know, because of that. We had lost, you know, good That's income. a lot, because you said it was about 45,000 square feet, somewhere in there, 45,000, yeah. 50,000. Yeah, right. so that's a big, that's right. almost half your building. And I kept finding good tenants, and the brother says, and they, they were willing to pay fair market rent. You know, we knew what the fair market rent was in the end. Mm -hmm. And he said, no, I want, he insisted he wanted way over market More. rent. The brother did. Right. And he says, if you put any of the, and I had the authority to put the tenants in there, but he kept threatening me that if I put the tenants in there, he's going to sue me. Hmm. And he loved suing people. You Google his name and he. No kidding. He, he used to tell me that. One he, of those guys. <laughs> He used to tell me that he loved suing people because it was like a, it was like a fun, you know, yeah. thing for him to do. And he, he would sue everybody, his doctors, his, you know. Yeah. So he said, I'm going to, and he was very wealthy and mm. he says, I'm going to sue you. You put someone in that I don't agree with, I'm going to sue you. I tried to renegotiate a lease with a good tenant there. And he said, no. He said, Even a renegotiation, he didn't want you doing that. No. No, even though there was going to be bumps in the rent. Um, so I had pretty much had enough. And by that time I was um, with my husband now. And my husband is like, I, you know, I just, I, the stress is, it's not good. You know, you, you've got to get away from this. So I found him to be a big liability. So I said, I had offered to buy them, buy him out. Uh -huh. And he, they turned me down. And so. Did you I offer a fair market? Oh, yeah. 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 I, Even though I they offered, damaged the building by not letting you rent it, you pay, you were going to pay them full price to get away. I was going to pay them full price just to get out of it. Um, and, you know, I, and it was a great building. I mean, it was, it was always solid. We always had solid tenants. It was always a moneymaker. And I just wanted to build it back up to what it yeah. was. So um, I had just about had enough of them. And I finally said, look, I just want, I don't want to be on this loan because mm -hmm. the loan is what's called joint and several, which you know what that yeah. means. But for anyone that doesn't, it means, and me and my um, 
ex-fiance were the only ones on the loan. So basically joint and several means it doesn't matter that we're, you know, what percentage partner they are, they will go after the person with the assets if there's a default and a foreclosure. Um, and so I was the only one with assets. I had the apartment buildings. I had bought a house um, for my family since then. And I thought these people are going to um, drive this into foreclosure. My assets, I'm going to be completely, once again, just wiped out. I'm going to lose everything. And I said, you guys can have, take, take the building. I won't, you don't have to give me any money. Just get me off the loan. Once again, I went back to, you know, you can, yeah. you can always remake the money, but it was just such a huge liability. So they said, okay. And the brother had the cash to pay it off, but he was trying to get a loan and he was Which supposedly of course, because he drove down the value of the property with his, I mean, if you have a vacant property, it's not worth, it's not worth anything right I mean right we still had some tenants that were hanging on there but yeah, lenders are not impressed with 50% occupancies no. in a market that's fine <laughs> you know? right 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 Absolutely. it's not you it's me thing you know it's like okay you, you ruined it so exactly exactly so they meanwhile months later they're still trying to get a loan and um, the brothers cohort this guy that's kind of like an assistant to him called me and said can you send me the insurance policy on the on the building we need it for this loan we're trying to get so i sent him the insurance policy anyway a couple days later they head out to dallas to go look at our property and a couple days after that the entire vacant area of vacant unit goes up in flames i get a call from my property manager I remember and, that. Yeah. And um, completely. Like, what a coinky dink. Yeah, completely. And the, the fire captain said that um, someone got in and there was a gas can, you know, sitting in the unit. And then the brother. The rich brother? The older brother. Mm -hmm. um, the next morning after the fire, calls the insurance company and says, I'm the new owner of the building, make the checkout in my name and send it to my address. The insurance company said, ah! yeah. and they dropped us. So now we have we don't no even have insurance. insurance. <laughs> and so I had to panic and grab whatever insurance I could, which was astronomical. We were paying it was like 50 something thousand dollars a year just to have insurance because you know yeah. the units built down burnt down you know yeah. and um anyway it um it went on and on for um probably a year and they kept threatening to sue me they were trying to get the money from the, well the older brother who was still not a part of the llc was fighting the insurance companies and threatening to sue them, trying to get the money. And that's just not the way it works. The money's going to go to the right. mortgage company. Right. So I ended up um, a night before they were going to auction off the property. You know, meanwhile, all the tenants are scared out, you know, they yeah. crazy owners, you know, yeah. 
And yes, I um, ruined this property. My God. Oh, it was a nightmare. So, so they were um, an auction. So the bank was going to foreclose on the property, right? Yes. And the loan was still under my name and they wouldn't have gotten at an auction what we owed on it. We owed right. 2.3 million on it. Yeah. And, um, and they drove it down to being worth a million and a half or something like that. Million oh, million. it was, yes. If it, was, that, yeah. it was destroyed. So I, the night before the auction, the brother threatened me. He says, if you put the LLC in bankruptcy, I'm going to sue you once again. Mm -hmm. And I said, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to, you know, go ahead, sue me. Right. And the night before the auction, I filed the bankruptcy on the LLC just to mm -hmm. save it. Mm -hmm. um, after months and months of that and interrogations by attorneys by, of the um, insurance company, I, um, he finally just refinanced one of his California properties and paid off the loan. And I, that was the happiest day of my life. Yeah. <laughs> you remember probably the stress. I do. I remember hearing the story going, this cannot be true. This is, this is unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. So, and he wasn't really a partner. I mean, that's no. the thing that's so shocking. No, um, he was, he was just the crazy older brother who felt like he had to control, total control freak, major mm -hmm. control freak. And like I said, he was, he was lawsuit. How he just, he thought it was fun to sue people. He, yeah. he sued everybody. Yeah. He's one of these dark spirits that just wants to torture people. I mean, that's yes. like a torture thing. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Emotional torture. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's incredible. So, um, yeah. So I don't know that you could have, well, I guess just not having that guy as a partner, it's, you know, but what, so when you do partnerships now, because you've done some since then, oh, and actually, right. so you, you do own commercial property in Texas, a happy, and there's a lady here from uh, Fort Worth, Carla Freeman. Oh, Welcome, Carla. <laughs> I love <Yeah>. Texas. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so you do own a commercial property, right? Yes. Okay. Yes, and when I, did you buy that one? I mean, I would think after that story, you just told us you would be shell shocked and never want to do this again and just go hide in a corner. But no, I felt, I felt like I had to make up for, um, for that. And I made a vow to never, I will never go into out other than my current partners who are still the people that, um, all these years later, all these years later, best partners ever. Um, the husband and wife. I own one building with um, with the wife and one with the with the husband. Mm -hmm. um, so they are perfect because we trust each other. Um, we just completely one hundred and ten percent trust each other. They know that I would never take a, a nickel over. You know, um, mm -hmm. you know. I just I don't have the conscience. I'm always doing. I would rather put more in and, you know, myself. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, so I said either that or um, I, my, my dad is, it was a big stock market player and really didn't That's know how you about. got the idea of day, day trading way back when is because you grew yeah. up with him talking about stocks or. No, no, no okay. I just, I just was, I, I just liked to, I liked the, it was kind of an exciting thing yeah. for me. I don't know. I was, I guess I kind of was always a little bit of a gambler, you know? Mm -hmm, right. And, um, and um, so I liked it, but it was, 
you know, the day trading was exhausting and it, and it, it wasn't, you know, for me, I, I made money at it, but it wasn't worth, you know, real estate to me, as long as you analyze it and, um, you know, it's, it's never gone wrong for me mm -hmm. other than a bad partner. <laughs> right. But, <laughs> but that I, was the partnership part of it. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So, um, so I found a, a business center in Texas in 2014. Um, it's about 20 something thousand square feet. And um, I, in a little town called Rockwall, Texas, and mm -hmm. it's just a nice community. And so I'm like, okay, you know, who, you know, I, I wanted to partner with somebody again. So I said, dad, are you interested in, you know, <laughs> he had, you know, some money. I said, would you like to, you know, be a 50% partner? And he said, as long as I don't have to make any decisions, I don't, I just want to get the checks to send me the, and I said, you're the perfect partner. You know, he says, I want you to make all decisions. I don't, you know, I don't want to hear about it. Just, you know, so I said, great. And, um, so that has been, you know, that's been. And uh, so what did you pay for that building and what's the gross income on that one? Kind of what are the numbers on that? So that one. And this is um, an office building you said now? It's no, it's like business center. So it's, it's oh. got doctors in there and oh, okay. insurance companies and, you know, kind of more okay. business. We just got a bagel shop in there and, you know, it's, oh, nice. it's kind of, kind those of doctors mix. and other guys need their bagels, right? So that's good. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I heard there's no good bagels in Rockwall. So everybody's okay. thrilled at our new bagel tenant. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> that's awesome. Sorry. So go back to the numbers. So sorry. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we paid $2 million for it and we put um, 500000 down, mm -hmm. which is 25%. Uh, mm -hmm. And... Um, Gross rents are about almost a little over twenty-one thousand a month. Okay, um, up almost twenty-two thousand a month, um, and it's a you know it's been an amazing building. And one thing with commercial that I tend to do with with that kind of commercial when in investing is I've learned that I like to invest on easy, easily rentable spaces. Mm. And I don't want a center where there is one tenant who is the majority, mm. um, majority of the income, because if that one tenant moves out, it, you know, it takes out a good portion of your income. So I like these, the, you know, it, it has spaces that range anywhere from a thousand square feet up to about 4,000 square feet. In so a lot center. of variety of space. Yes. And I these tenants, do they sign um, three-year leases or five-year leases or 10-year leases? What, what do you usually get, I guess? Um, you know, some of these are mom and pop type places and they don't want to do more than three-year leases. However, mm -hmm. so when we, um, that's always what they had done with the previous owner. Mm -hmm. um, but I've been inching it up a little bit, doing incentives to do longer leases. Oh, okay. So, um, you know, give them some kind of incentive that um, we start the rent off a little bit lower than we would if they do a five-year lease or, you okay. know, otherwise it start, it'll start. And so we've been able to get, um, you know, some people, five, we have a 10-year, um, someone that signed a 10-year lease there. So, um 
you know, but it's, you don't want to, when you're dealing with more of the small mom and pop type places, you have to be almost a little more flexible. Mm. But um, even and most of your tenants are the little mom and pop in this building. Yeah, we we have, I mean, we have a church in there also. And, you know, a a family run insurance company and, and, but yeah, they're, they're, you know, smaller, they're not big national tenants. We have a dance studio in there. And And do these guys pay triple net or are you still paying all your, uh, you're paying all your uh, insurance and water, you pay all the bills? Yeah, we, we pay all the bills. They, some of them that were original tenants there, they were paying an air condition um, monthly fee, which because the air to cover the bill to cover the electric bill, probably. Well, to cover the air condition when they break. So, oh, 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 okay. But I've been slowly changing that over to where the tenant is responsible for the air conditioning because they go out a lot. They're used a lot in Texas. (laughs) So, yeah, right. We so go and you have a professional manager there on site and then you're managing the manager because you're describing a lot of stuff you're deciding. Are you managing it from over here? Or? Yeah. So we have, we do not have an on-site manager, but we, I have the same manager that managed my other building. Oh, um, they were Texas. still willing to work with you after all that craziness, we right? Actually, they knew it wasn't you, I guess. And we are like this. We're, you know, he's been our manager since 2006 we and I, you know, I am the L. I manage kind of the LLC. I make all the decisions, so mm-hmm. we are in constant contact, and mm-hmm. I have access to the bank accounts, to so I see everything going in out. But we're in constant communication mm-hmm. um, together. But he, you know, he so he that manager is more like to meet workers and sign in. He's like your boots on the ground in person, person, right? Right, but I don't deal with the tenants. I don't want to deal with the okay. tenants myself. You're making decision, but you don't talk to them, right? I make the Which decision. Is smart, he comes right? to me. Yes, they know to contact. Although I have had tenants track me down and right. contact me directly, and I very nicely say, "This right. is why I have a property manager." You know, everything goes through him. So, right. Um, yeah, and it's worked out really well. Um, he's, um, like I said, he's everything is an open book. You know, mm-hmm. to where. We, um, I'm able to see everything that goes in and out, which is important, right? I think thinking back to your beginning stories, those guys weren't reporting to you. They weren't uploading. Well, the computers weren't that we weren't uploading anything back then, but (laughs) (laughs) but they weren't keeping a file where you could go see the file, right? It wasn't, it wasn't organized. And now you can hold people to being organized and showing you everything and Right. They shouldn't have anything to hide anyway. So no, that's, you know, to me, that is one of the biggest lessons I learned is you make sure, I mean, it doesn't matter how much you trust the group. Don't ever just leave it in somebody's hands and trust they're going to do the right thing. And, you know, the property manager that we have now on, on all of my properties, they make mistakes. There's human error, Mm -hmm. but I catch them, you know? Mm -hmm. So I'm, you still, I probably drive my property managers a little crazy because I, I question them, you know, and I've found mistakes, you know, that they made. But that's your job. Don't you think it's your, your job to watch the store, right? You watch the managers and the managers do the daily stuff. Absolutely. I think it's important that you never become complacent and think you just sit back and let them send you the checks. I think you always 
need to be, you know, I go on in my portals daily and I check money going in and out. And, mm. you know, I tell them if there's a repair over $500, you need to ask me. And mm -hmm. I often ask them to get other quotes because some of the vendors right. they use expect that, well, you know, if the manager, property manager, you know, says to use me, we're just going to get the job. So I've had to, you know, Right. Tell the property manager, I'd like you to use, you know, another get quotes from other vendors. And right. you have to also really so they show off. their vendors that they're getting quotes and keeping them on their toes. Right. Yes. Because yes. I think because the managers get a little bit complacent with their. It's easier to go. There's a plumbing thing. Get that guy out. Right. Instead right. of let's get quotes. Right. I mean, if it's an emergency, it's a different thing. But if you're, you know, if you're doing a repair of a unit, you want to make sure you're getting a good deal. Right. Absolutely. I started seeing some of the bills coming up higher and higher and higher. And I, so I just said, you know what, let's use my guy that, you know, and, mm -hmm. and we, you know, we ended up actually moving some of their vendors out and just using the ones that I've always used because, mm -hmm. um, but for it, the local just, thing here, right. For your local. Right. Companies. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and I still, you know, have my manager back in Texas you know, I still have him always, you know, get quotes on, on larger projects, even though he has his, you know, people that he trusts. Mm -hmm. you know, I say, you know, we, we have to keep them on their toes because right. they think, oh, we're just going to get the, the job because the manager right, uses us. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So it's just so important, I think, huge to just mm -hmm. really um, stay involved. So we've had, uh, we had a, a My Cashflow Academy student that, um, you know, had an issue recently and it was with remodeling. And I guess the guy who was in charge of managing the remodel, and this is in Pittsburgh and she's in California. So, so do you have a way to, cause we're thinking when there's a job being done, those people should be able to send us videos, send us pictures, show us the progress. Like, because you don't even know that the fridge, they, the new fridge that's supposed to go in actually got in there, right? When you're yes. so far away. So do you have a way to communicate, uh, uh, to ask for proof of these things being done to a building? Or how do you, how do you handle that? Since you're Texas, you can't fly over there and see and look. And Right, right. Well, my, you know, either my manager or the tenant, I have them go through either video it for me or I want to see pictures. Mm -hmm. And I want to see, um, you know, of course, you know, the d direct receipts from, you know, from the vendors. Mm -hmm. And, um, but yeah, I usually get, you know, pictures mm -hmm. at least um, mm -hmm. showing the work that has been done before and after. Right. So, yeah, it's, 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 it's hard when you're, you know, you're out of state, you can't just pop in and, yeah. and uh, see everything. So you kind of have to rely on other people to, to, to be your eyes and ears. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why it's so important to find, really find somebody that you trust. And that's why I hesitate to, you know, I've been looking around the U.S. at other places to invest, mm -hmm. but I, I have my team that I trust, you know. In, well, I um, think that's key, right? I, I tell people, you know what, build your team first. Yes. That's with, where you start. Find the most excellent property manager. And in fact, the property manager will probably help you and say, okay, don't invest over here. This is a better area. Like they're there. And if they know they're going to be managing it, 
they're not going to want you to buy something that's going to be tough to manage. Exactly. Right? And that's my manager in Texas. He was both my real estate agent and property manager. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I mean, he's the one that's going to have to, you know, deal with these tenants. So, right. and I also had um, leasing agents out there. So, um, a lot of times I'll contact the leasing agent and I'll ask them how well the property, you know, what the rental market is out there for mm -hmm. commercial leases. So but you, it's just nice when you feel like you have that team. I have my attorneys out there that I trust and mm -hmm. my leasing agent and my property manager, you know, once you have that team, you really use them for, you know, as a resource yeah. because they're going to, you know, they're, they're going to, you know, if they're in it, for the long haul with you, they're going to want, obviously, to help mm -hmm. you make the right choices. Right. So so if your uh, property manager, does he have a team, like, if he can't work one day, is there someone there to take over for him? That's the only That's thing. That's my concern with property managers yes. that are so great. What's their succession plan? What happens to us if they are in a car accident or can't work or, God forbid, they pass away? Well, you know, that has been always a concern of mine and I've kind of kept my feelers out, you know, already researching just in case because he did, my property manager a couple of years ago did have a very serious health issue and, um, you know, ended wow. up hospitalized and his, his family, um, his mother, his property management business was passed down from oh. um, kind of from his parents. So his mother she kind of stepped in and started doing it, but I kind of took over while he was in the hospital okay. and I was dealing directly with the town. I just kind of had to step in, but that's always in the back of my mind because he's not a big, he's a one man show. Yeah. And there's risk in that for us as the investors, right? Absolutely. So mm -hmm. I'm always kind of keeping an eye out for a backup plan, you know, a, a backup person that would be able to, um, you know, step in, Jump in. Mm -hmm. if, if need be to help mm -hmm. me. But, you know, you know, I may have to be the one to step in for a while. And yeah. And that's between. difficult long distance, right? It so, is. Mm -hmm. It is. Mm -hmm. So what would you say we've kind of gone over time? So I'll try and wrap this up. And, and if anyone has any questions, I forgot to mention that. But if you have any questions, just put them in the chat box and, and we'll watch. But um, just towards, uh, towards, closing out, I had two questions. One is, do you think there's something that women investors bring to the table in investing that's different uh, than men? I mean, we're not men, so we can't, we can't really compare, but, <laughs> but <laughs> since we've never been that, you know, but do you, do you notice maybe in other women investors or just for your own sake uh, or your own um, experience, do you think there's something different about women investors than men investors? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't really know too many women investors, but um, but I isn't think, that interesting? Yeah, when I started this group, I actually googled women investors, and it was like two or three stock people. Yeah, yeah, it's so I don't I don't really know anybody any women that are you know heavily involved in investing, uh -huh. but. You know, I personally think women are a lot more detailed. Mm. Um, and um, I think uh, women listen more to really, you know, I don't know. You know, men can kind of, once they have their mindset on the way something should go, I feel like they just have one track mind and they don't, women 
think, I think listen more and take cues more and mm. are a little bit more flexible that if something has to change, um, mm. I, I just think we're a little more detail oriented. The mm -hmm. man just, you know, right. tunnel vision. Mm -hmm. And I think, I, I, I just think, um, you know, I've, I've always said that we can multitask, you know, I think better than men. <laughs> yeah. And, and there's a lot of aspects to, you know, owning the property, mm -hmm. um, you know, so. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. I, I think I have to agree with that with the detail part. Mm -hmm. And a lot of men just kind of skim over things like it sounds good. So they go with it. Absolutely. Or like you said, they, I've noticed with a lot of uh, men clients, they, they decided they were going to do something. And so they don't, they don't change, even if there's evidence that maybe they should change their mind a little bit, they tend not to, right? Absolutely. What, what about this? What about that thing, right? It's Absolutely. not as easy, maybe. Yeah. Um, okay. And so what was your, what would be your recommendation for the women listening and, and the men? Uh, what, you know, if you were to start over, what would you do differently? Or what do you recommend that someone who's starting off and investing probably doesn't have a whole lot of money, you know, they're not buying that $2 million property you talked about. Right. What, what would you recommend someone do? Um, if you were coaching them, you know, talking to them one-on-one, -on -one, what would you want to say to them? Well, you know, I think um, number one is I believe in research. I mean, learn, learn the craft of analyzing properties before you jump into something. I mean, like I said, just spend, take properties and just start working, constantly work the numbers so that you get a feel for, and you know, when you buy a property, if you're looking for a cash flow property, um, don't, don't get emotionally involved in a property. So if you're, suppose you find a property that you like, um, set your limit, figure the numbers, set a ceiling for what you would go and if it starts going above that don't get don't get caught up in it just because you want to buy a property if it gets to your limit to where it's not going to make financial sense just stop and it's time to back away don't get too emotionally invested in one property so I kind of be willing to walk away be willing to walk away be patient i you know i don't think you know i it, it would take me, you know, like I said, sometimes it took me a year to find, you know, of searching to find a property, but I think you need to be patient, which I was never good with. <laughs> I always wanted it now, <laughs> you know, and um, if you're choosing partners, you have to choose a partner that, choose somebody that you know well, that um, if it's a relationship, uh, I kind of, you don't know which way the relationship is going to go. So you have to be very careful with that because if the relationship goes south, usually the partnership starts to have problems. Mm. Um, you need to pick a partner that you know well, that has the same mindset and goals as you. And you make a plan from the beginning um, of what, you know, 
what are you going to you know hang on to it for the long term are you you know are they willing to put money some money in if need be to to keep the property up just make sure somebody has the same goals that mm -hmm. you have and and i think partners are great if you find the right one but you really have to make sure somebody is on the totally on the same playing field as you are mm. That's brilliant. That kind of kind of sums it up, huh? Yeah, it's you know, you know, like I said, I've learned the hard way. So yeah, well, and I I love that you shared your personal experience because you know there's all these websites out there that make it sound so easy, but in practicality, it's not easy. It's simple, but it's not easy to actually go through it. Right. Um, you know, so your real life experience, I think, was really good for people to hear. Although you might have freaked out some people. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I hope I didn't, like, real estate investment is great, but here's what could happen to you. But I think that's important. Well, I, I'd like to teach people what I did wrong mm. so that, you know, it's something that if somebody's about ready to get into a similar situation, they can stop and, and I hope they'll remember what I said, if, I mean, if I can help one person, you know, I mm -hmm. mean, it's, it's really pretty basic stuff. But at the time, you know, I was just fumbling through it on my own. I didn't have anybody to, um, you know, to ask. So mm -hmm. if, you know, I'm always open and willing to give advice if anybody, you know, ever needs to just contact me for my opinion or advice on something, you know, I'm always here. I, I love to help people. So yeah, that's amazing. I love that about you. Thank you. So thank you for taking time. So if someone did want to contact you, how would, so Sherry's a, a real estate broker here in the South Bay. So obviously if you want to buy something here, she can help you do that or, or anywhere in California probably, but, um, uh, but also an investor that can, can help you. So, so how would someone, con what's the best way for someone to contact you? Um, they can, pick up the phone and call me. Um, okay. Athena, you're more than, you know, please put out my contact information. You're, okay. You know, if you'd like to, if someone would okay. like to call me, text me, you know, whatever, whatever they'd like to do. I mean, I, you know, I don't expect anything. If somebody just wants to, like I said, I just love sure. to help people. So okay. if somebody just wanted to, you know, ask some questions or, you know, mm -hmm. I'm more than happy to answer awesome. anything. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Sherry. You're welcome. Um, just to remind you guys, on Saturday at 3 o'clock, we're going to have Embert Madison, the uh, attorney who talked to us last week about cannabis investing in real estate. He's going to come back and tell us about his um, short-term rental Airbnb style for executives, and he's in the Sacramento area. So he's going to share he how he does that, and he just invented a new... Um, a new service for small business owners. So he'll share that too. So that's Saturday at three o'clock. So hopefully you can join me. And again, Sherry, thank you for joining us and being so generous with your time. Sorry, we went over, but oh, it was just yeah, fascinating. Sorry, guys. Oh, <laughs> okay. well, thank you guys. Bye. I appreciate it. Thanks, Athena. Bye guys. Bye. 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 This has been another episode of My Cashflow Academy's Investor's Corner with your host, Athena Paquette Cornier. We wish you all the success you deserve as you use what you've learned here out in the real world. Check out the blog post for this episode, along with many more helpful resources at mycashflowacademy.com.